Turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you'd stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Men, tomorrow's Bible study at 6 o'clock. Don't you dare let me be the only guy there. I'm going to bill all of you if you don't come. Because I'm going to be ready. And you can bring a biscuit if you like. Chick-fil-A, uh, country ham and cheese. That's pastor's favorite. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. If you're there, say amen. If you're on the screen, say amen. Okay, you can be on the screen as long as you have your Bible. All right. And our camera moves throughout the church looking for those that didn't bring their Bible. We put you on the television. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. One more time. So whether we are at home or away, it doesn't make any difference. Our aim, our bullseye, is to please God because we have the knowledge that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and receive for what we've done in our body, whether good or evil. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I'm grateful for our doctors and our nurses. And if you're a doctor and nurse, please don't take this out of context. Uh, we go see y'all. We, we, we look to you. We look to you for answers. I'm not so much worried about the visit as I am the waiting room. You just feel like you're herded in like cattle, like, get you over here and then now serving number 2,306. And you got cobwebs running from your eye to the wall and you get up to go see the doctor. But other people are very fearful of the doctor because when they pull blood, First of all, they ask you about your relatives and who died and what they died of, and they pull blood. And the blood tells more about you than you'd ever realize. I didn't realize my, my triglycerides, I was with my triglycerides, what, what, this is off? Uh, what do you eat that's so fatty? You know, like, I like a cheese fry every now and then. Well, how much do you eat? The cheese fries, the, 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 the plate. You know, when you order something and you get a free complimentary angioplasty with it, that ought to be a signal to you. But the blood work tells the tale. And sometimes they'll tell you, you don't need to add something, you need to take something away. And other times they say, say you not only need to take something away, but you need to add something. And the doctor, we look to him to accurately assess where we are and provide suggestions, medicine, or therapy to get us to where we should be. This morning, by God's grace, I want us all to examine ourselves. This is one of those messages, I'm not gonna tell you how to, or where to, or we're not gonna uh, create and rehearse, not create, but rehearse the doctrines. We're gonna examine ourselves to see if we be found in the faith. I wanna speak to you along the subject, if you'll give me just a moment to do a brief introduction, about the Bema Seat of Christ. 
We will not be a part of the great white throne judgment where we give an account for our sins. My Savior hung naked on a cross and paid for all of my sins, past, present, and future. They are all washed away. Reason, let's reason together. Though your sins were like scarlet, they're now white as snow. And as far as the east is from the west, God hath removed my transgressions from me. We will not stand before God and answer for our sins. But I dare tell you, without fear of contradictions, that probably a majority of Christians that I know never think about the Bema seat of Christ, where we stand before the Lord and we give an account for the deeds done in our body, the works done in our body, the opportunities that we're given to serve. And there will be people in the kingdom called great, great in the kingdom. They'll be known. And there'll be people known as least in the kingdom. Don't confuse works with grace. Listen, we have no access to God except by grace. For we were saved by, uh, saved by grace through faith, not of works. So grace, salvation by grace through faith is all about what God has done for you. But rewards in heaven are all about what you did for God. It's not a grace element then. It's a will element. Willing to serve, willing to give, willing to pour out your life, willing to invest. You will not have any reward in heaven for works that you did not do. When I come before the Lord, he's not judging me for my sins. He said, what did you do with the life that I gave you? And I will not receive one reward for something I didn't do. You know how this theme now, everybody gets a trophy? Oh, you, you breathed. You get a trophy. No. Paul said, I beat my body into subjection. And I'm forgetting the things that are behind. And I'm pressing on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed at his appearing. My works do not gain me access. They gain reward. I had heard one preacher say, even if there was no rewards in heaven, I would work. Well, Yes, but you're missing the whole element. It's not that I obtain a reward. It's that I receive a reward that I can give back to him. Where if I serve faithfully, somebody like me is going to get a shepherd's crown. Can you imagine? Katrina, somebody like me, where the Lord may say, John, well done. You were good and faithful. And he's going to put it on my head. And the redeemed from ages past will say, he was a shepherd. And I'm going to say, unto you, O Lord, be all glory, honor, and praise. And he'll receive the praise. But if I understand my scripture correctly, but you wear it. And so the rewards in heaven are based not upon what he did for us, but what we did for him, and if it had a pure motive. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. How, how are you living? What do you expect on the other side? Not are we going home. Yeah, we're going home, but what will it look like? How you live on the earth today is how you'll be known in heaven tomorrow. Y'all ready for this? Let's pray. Lord... Over the next few moments, I just pray that you would calm my heart and calm my mind.
let me speak with such a simple clarity. I'm asking you for this, Lord. Bother our souls. Bother our souls, O Lord. Not through a false guilt or a condemnation, but may something spark within us that we must work while it's day because night cometh when no man can work. And only that for which we've done in your name. I think of those that have spent the last decade in prison ministry. I think of those that have poured their life into our children for a decade in this building. Our missionaries and those that love the Lord and minister in so many ways. Put your reward before us, O Lord. So that we might not spend our life on this earth, but invest our life in the one to come. For the glory of your son, I pray. Amen. All right, number one. And I would ask that you take notes on the main points so that you can go home. And this is what I'm asking you to do privately. You don't show your spouse. You don't show your friends. Grade yourself. A, B, C, D, or F. Number one. Are you living a Christ-centered life? I'm not asking you what you believe. I'm asking how do you live? Is Christ the center of your experience? One of the hardest things to do is keep Christ at the forefront because every season of life has its own change that makes it impossible. You remember how you were doing so well, you're doing so well, and then you get married, and there's someone there all the time? They need all the time cook, clean up, all that. And you said, oh, if I can just ever get past this stage. And then you have a child. And they're like there, Kelly, all the time. And you know, you go to college. Kids are in high school and then they go to college and said, it's just so hard to keep the Lord. These people are serious about school at college. You go from high school where, would you read the next two pages? Do you mind? Think about it. Pray about it if you want to read it. And then you go to college. Uh, term paper, 67 pages due tomorrow. Check, please. I mean, they're serious. You have to put your time into it. But there's no grade given except the one that's earned. You ha the, it ne there's always a season of life that makes it hard. But Christ becomes center not by an act of mystic power, but by you daily and hourly bringing him back to the center. Imagine the hub of a wheel. And the spokes are all the things that we do and all our responsibilities. But Christ when we get up. Christ in our thoughts. Christ in our goals. Christ in our dreams. Our dreams shouldn't be what we obtain in this earth, but what we can win for the next one to come. Christ at the center. If it's centered around Christ, your life, it will be centered around Him personally. Not just the church, but Him personally. It'll be centered around His Word. You, you can't be centered around Christ and not have the Word of God at the center. It'll be centered around His people. You can't be centered around Christ and not be part of a local body of believers. Oh, I just do God at home. I do church at home. How? how, how oh, I get it. At home, it doesn't cost you anything. But in a local body of believers, you must serve and allow to be served. Give and receive. Responsible to, not for. It's impossible to be centered around God and not be centered around his people. As often as you have opportunity, do good to all men, especially those in the household of faith. 
the Bible says. You'll be centered around his desires, his assignments, and his glory. Are you living a Christ-centered life? Number two, are you living an obedient life? Those of you that have children, you understand that obedience is not just black and white. There's some gray areas. One child is obedient with the fear of death. That was a joke. Y'all can laugh this. I will beat you. Some are obedient, kind of. Some are obedient for reward only. You know, look, Izzy, Olivia will do something and she'll say, uh, I'll see her give something to Olivia and give something to Izzy. I'll say, Olivia, that was generosity. And before the words even get out of my mouth, Izzy goes, here, brother, you can have this. So there's obedience, but it's kind of, you know, for the, pl- the present reward only. I'm asking you, as clearly as you see your children, how obedient are you to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Quick or slow to obey? How many of you got children that when you give a command, they want to dialogue with you about the parameters and the expectation of, just do it, you're killing me, Stop. I just mind. Why? What do you tell your kid when they say why? Because I said so. Why? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Be honest. Quick or slow to obey? Partially or fully? Go make your bed up. And they pull the comforter over the bed. And in the bed are sandwiches. Oreos, socks, underwear, a pull-up that has now soaked the sheets. Did you make up your bed? Watch. Yes. I believe there are Christians in this room that have spent their life pulling a comforter up over their life and saying, I'm doing it, God. And it costs way more to be obedient than pull a comforter up to the top. You have to strip the bed. You have to wash the sheets. You have to dry the sheets. Preferably, you fold them before they become one ball of static wrinkle. There's a process. Obedience, you can't live an obedient life and not be uncomfortable. Do you understand? See, obedience doesn't make me comfortable. It makes my flesh irritated. My flesh wants comfort and God wants cause. He wants me to reflect Him in the earth. And you can't follow the Lord without denying yourself. First thing he said, if any man would come after me, first thing, deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself what you want, deny yourself. Obedience means that I really don't have a voice in it. I just have a reaction to it. It's yes, Lord, for your glory. Yes, Lord. Do you obey willingly or begrudgingly? And there are some in this room that you obey fully but not willingly. Listen to what this verse says in Isaiah. If you be willing and obedient, you'll enjoy the good of the land. This is why some of us, our Christianity is bitter to us. We obey. We see the person that doesn't make up their bed fully and we would never do the Lord like that. We wash the sheets. We dry the sheets. We lay them on the bed. We make the bed and we resent God for it. And see, there's a reward to obedience, but a willing obedience 
is life to your soul. Where it says, stop it with your attitude. You ought to be grateful to the Lord and bless the Lord at all times. My God, your praise ought to be continually in my mouth. And I'm telling my body, all that's within me, line up, act right, be grateful, stop it. Stop being so self-centered. Be willing. I don't want to just obey. I want to be willing and obey. And the Bible said that you will have the good of the land, which means the best of all that God has. So you tell your kid, Olivia... Now, they don't understand yet at four, but, you know, go make the bed. (sighs) And they go make the bed spotless, perfect. You could bounce a dime on it. It's done. Anything else? (laughs) Do you know that if I did that to my mom and dad? Oh, baby. If there was defects back then, they'd still be in jail. Did you know there are believers sitting next to you that obey the Lord and act that way? Go to church. Hey, stay home. Hey, listen, I'm in my 50s. This is the last lap for me. We got to tell the truth. Feel like you're doing God a favor by coming to church or serving or teaching kids or singing on the worship team? Stay home. There are plenty of people that have been forgiven so much and loved so much. They say, I want to do it with joy. With joy, willingly. And you can be a pastor of a church and not be willing. I wonder how much reward I've lost because I did it because it was my job and not my privilege. It's just the attitude of the child. Are you living an obedient life privately or publicly? Pure motive or mixed? If you get too far into the introspection, you'll just bog down. And I don't believe God wants us to be, make it a complex issue. It's this. You're the Lord. I'm not. I joyfully follow you. And where we're weak, you can still have perfect reward by saying, ain't no part of me wants to do this. But for you, oh Lord, absolutely. That's willing. That's willing. So grade yourself. Are you leading? Are you living an obedient life? Number three. Are you living a willing life? I touched on this just a moment ago. Are you willing to live consecrated and sanctified? Are you willing to be led and follow? Are you willing to suffer? Or does God have to remove you from every difficult situation for you to follow him? I have heard people with my own ears say, well, Lord, if you don't do something about this, I'm just done. Are you willing for the Lord to lead and you follow? Are you willing to suffer? Willing to do without? Willing to experience loss, lack, or sorrow? Are you willing to be misunderstood, opposed, rejected, and or persecuted? Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to sacrifice? If I were to ask you, or no, let's put it this way. If all of a sudden on the screen, your name And the greatest thing you've ever sacrificed for the Lord were to come up. Would you be ashamed? Would you bow your head in meekness? Would you be joyful that the Lord knows? Or would you say to yourself this morning, I really haven't ever. Give me just a little more time, Lord. 
to do those, the big things, the hard things. And y'all know I don't, I don't call people's names to boast. There's, there are people in this church that have served on this worship team that drive an hour each way for 15 years. There's people like Mr. Tommy upstairs that have taught our kids 15 years. Now, sacrifice can be giving your life. It can be giving your time, like a martyr, give your time, your resources, and we're going to talk about that. But what, what's your biggest sacrifice? And how will you feel on the judgment day when he is standing there in his resplendent glory and if you look at our life, our times, our, our money, our, our gifts, our ministry, and we're going to flip nickels to him. There will be people that gave it all. Now, this shouldn't make you feel guilty. If I make you feel guilty, I've not done my job. It's to stir you with this thought. What are you going to do with the time you have left? What great thing can you give him? What can you, how, how can you show him? Any cup of cold water given in his name gets a reward. There should be common tasks. There should be assignments, but then sacrifice. I'm reminded of the story and many charismatic preachers, God helped them use this story to get an offering. And that's not what this story was about. This story was about God's knowledge of us as givers. He was watching them come into the temple, still under Old Testament law, and a widow come in and put her two mites in, which equaled about a penny, penny and a half. And Jesus said, this woman gave everything she owns. The issue wasn't put in the last bit so God can give you more to take up. No, Jesus said, I know what you did. I know how you poured your life out on the mission field. I know you how you preferred other believers. I know how you raised children that weren't yours and did without so they could have. I saw you put love into action and your sacrifice has returned. Your return, your ROI, my return on investment in your life is an eternity of gratitude, an eternity of esteem, if you will, in the kingdom of God by God calling you out saying, great is your reward. For sacrifice. That's why he says don't grow weary in well-doing. Those of you that are working for the Lord in due season, you're going to reap if you don't quit. Working for the Lord. Are you living a faithful life? 1 Corinthians 4.2, if you're taking notes, says this. Moreover, it's required of a steward to be found faithful. In this day and age... Let's just use pastors. I'll throw my profession, if you will, under the bus, my calling. Moreover, it's required of pastors to be effective. Moreover, it's required of pastors to be polished. Moreover, it's required of pastors to be educated. Moreover, it's required of pastors to be popular. Moreover, it's required to be relevant and contemporary. The scripture says, moreover, the most important thing for you being a steward of your life is that you be found faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to your assignment. And here's the funny thing about following the Lord. You don't get to pick the assignment. I think I'd like to do that. I think I'll, I'll choose this church. Yeah. I think I'll, uh, I only want to serve this time two months. Okay, I'll do this two months. 
where's the meekness that goes before him and says, how long would you like me to serve? You tell me. I, I, I want to not just live a life of sacrifice, but faithfulness. Let me tell you something about ministry. Whether you're preaching in the prisons or on a worship team. Uh, how many of you served in a capacity, let's just say in this local body or in another, five plus years? Okay, hold your hand up just a minute. You ever thought about quitting? Dear Lord, people, quit looks good all the time. It really does. If I preached only when I felt inspired, like if that were the qualification, only get up on the platform if you feel it. Due to technical difficulty, Pastor John won't be here this morning. Here's a video of Andy and Warner Robbins. Enjoy. I don't want to be fake. I'm keeping it real. I'd be keeping it real at home. If finishing were easy, more people would finish. If overcoming was easy, more people would overcome. If staying married were easy, well, I better not do I'm just getting off that. Are you faithful as salt, as light, as ambassadors, representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can God and other believers count on you? Are you leading a faithful life that's intentional? Faithful in the little things. Faithful in every season. Faithful regardless of the cost. Do you keep your word to your own harm? Now this is a personal thing for me, but it's also very spiritual. I really esteem people that keep their word. Just keep your word. I know businessmen in this church and in others that underbid jobs and to their own harm keep their word. I know people that have opportunity to gain something incorrectly and they, their, 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 their conduct, they won't allow themselves. You know, all you got to do is not keep your word. Or if I, I told you I'm going to be there at one, but if I go do this at 1230, I can maybe get this other job and you'll sit for 30 minutes, but I may make more money. no. The way your pastor thinks is, your word is your word is your word is your word. So whether I'm meeting you somewhere or if I tell you I'll do this for you, and the Lord years ago told me, don't ever make an excuse, tell the truth. And I have to tell people, uh, I'm sorry I wasn't there, I forgot. Because I'd rather you think I was forgetful than I was a liar. You keep your word. Do you keep your word to the Lord? Some of you made vows in dark seasons that you forgot when the lights got turned on. I hit something in, didn't I? Lord, if you'll just, then I'll, I look across this room and I could point to some of you. I know your history. And you're not fulfilling your vows, your commitments to the Lord. You don't owe me nothing. But the Lord, no one can finish your race for you. No one can be faithful for you. No one can serve for you. No one can sacrifice for you. No one can worship for you. No one can do ministry for you. It's either faithful or not. We either finish or we don't. We either have good motive or we don't. Do you judge your life by successes or by your potential? Oh, 21 years at one church, you know. We got about 600 now. We've started or been a part of eight churches. God said, none of that against your potential. My greatest fear at the Bema Seat of Christ is that he will reward me for my works and then expose me for unrealized potential. 
I'm being as honest as I know how to be. Say, oh, but you could have been. You look at your child and they're a B student all across the board and you say, you could be a doctor. You could be a physician. You could be a lawyer. You're so, there's so much capacity. And we grieve over our children that they might not utilize what God has given them. And we don't think that God wouldn't grieve over us and say, I put so much in you, so much in you. And you're playing in the floor with bubble wrap. You live in this house, you live in this neighborhood, and it's all going to burn up, and only that for which you did for Christ will last. That does not mean you have to do all your work for Christ Chapel or someone else. It means that your life is a stewardship. It's not your own. It's where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? And are you faithful? Do you, are you realizing your potential? Those of you young guys, young girls with God's hand on your life, do you rely more on the calling or your study? God never pulls out of you what you've not studied. The potential. How, how far can you take your mind? How far can you take your talents, your gifts? There are many, I know men in this church that have been multi, multi, multi-millionaires because in the world before Christ, they, they put everything into it. And it was, isn't it amazing? Those of you that own your own business and people go, oh, it must be nice. Oh, it is. Jump on it. There's no line. Now serving number one. Come on. It takes, this, it takes all in to do it. But we think in the kingdom of God, it's horrible. But Ben, you may have heard this years ago when they, you know, in our cars, we have a $1,500 stereo. At home, we got a $3,000 stereo. And you go in the church and they have an audio box $150 system. And they say, well, it's good enough for gospel. You know, the state is good enough for gospel. It don't have to be great. See, that mindset is going to carry over into the kingdom of God on the other side. It's going to carry over to the Bema seat. Are you living up to your potential as a Christian? Not just faithful, but to your potential. See, messages like this, you think it's uncomfortable hearing it? You ought to preach it. Knowing I'm going to give an account a greater judgment, a stricter judgment. All right. Number five, are you living a worshipful life? The hour cometh, John 4, 23 says, and now is when true worshipers must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. He's looking. He's looking for those. He said, you must do it. And they don't do it. God is a spirit and you must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is song, but it's not limited to song. Worship is an expression. This is Pastor John's uh, dictionary, if you will. When I study the word, worship is expressions toward the Lord. That's what worship is. When I give you something in an offering that no one knows about, when Kelly and I write a check and we hold our hands and say, this is an expression of how grateful I am for all you've given me. Just an expression. When we stand in you know, worship service and people on our row are kind of yawning and coming in late and dragging and we just come and fall at the altar, that's an expression of worship. Uh, when we prefer someone to ourselves, not because we're a good person, but we're worshiping. And here's the, here's the epitome of it. Here's the pinnacle. And Abram 
took his little boy's hand. He was going to the mountain to kill his son. Daddies, go there with me just a moment. And the little boy says, I see the wood and I see the, the rope and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And that man looks his boy in the eye and says, God will provide a sacrifice. And he turned to the people and said, the lad and I go yonder to worship. That's like me taking little Elisha's hand and walking up the hill. What made that worship, there's no music, there's no song, there's no fog machine, there's no lights, there's none of that. Not that it's wrong, but it's, that's not just on the stage. It's expressions. He said, nothing would I withhold from you. You see, are you a worshiper? Are you sending heaven signals all during the day? Are you sending them toward God? And you may think this small and insignificant, but I, and my way's not the way. I'm just telling you, it's, I often feel like when I preach to you and I tell you parts of my life, it's like putting in front of you so you can see which way the green breaks. You know, I'll tell you where I think I do right or where I do wrong. I'm going to show you. This is just what I do. I just always put voice to my feelings. Hardly a day goes by that I don't thank the Lord for my truck. I know you may think that's silly, but some of us have drove junk before. Do you hear me? Junk. Hoopties. They don't call them that no more. Some of us have drove hoopzillas like the master of hoopties. Has anybody else beside me laid hands on your car and prayed? See, y'all think it's, oh, that's just, you ain't drove what I drove, baby. And you get in something. I remember the first time I, that the Lord provided me a new car. I wept like a child. It didn't smoke. Oh, I don't mean oil. I mean something electrical and you just didn't want to see it. I remember my car, my Laguna SS, catching on fire in front of Wall Sports. No cell phones. I look in the yellow pages. We buy junk. Hey, you buy junk? Mm-hmm. I got some junk for you. Come over here. Wall Sports. They pulled up. Y'all remember where Walls was on Riverside next to the uh, post office? Who remembers Wall Sports? Okay. He pulls up, and I said, this is it, man. He says, I'll give you $50. This is just how it happened. I said, buddy, this is a 1973 Chevrolet Laguna SS. He goes, your junk's on fire. There was fire, like an orange glow coming through the air conditioner vents. I'm like, pff, pff. So now, you who are carnal might think, yeah, you only thanked him because he gave it to you. You're exactly right. And every day I get into it. Thank you, Lord. And my children hear me say it, and they hear my wife echo, thank you, Lord. I walk in my house, and I want my babies to God. Thank you for our farm of our house. Thank you, Lord. And Kelly goes, thank you, Lord. And you know what's going to happen before long? I'm going to hear my little baby say, God, thank you for my bed. Thank you for Because worship is my soul refusing to be quiet for all that God has done for me. All that God has done. He restored our soul. Are you worshipful? In meekness and humility, gratitude and thankfulness, praise and worship, testimony and testifying, growth and maturity. Are you living a fruitful life? Number six. And this is reflexive, not intentional. 
You can't will to be fruitful. Let me just do it quickly. You know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, goodness. I'm going to be in control. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to... No, it's reflexive. Are you living an organically fruitful life just because you're attached to the vine? Are you peaceful or do you have to will yourself to be peaceful? If you're willing yourself to be peaceful, you ain't fooled nobody. You're the last one to know. Hello, how are you? They said it right. Fine. How was your day? Are you okay? You okay? What are the person that goes, I'm going to be patient today if it kills me, and it does. But if we're connected to the vine, with all of our humanity and weaknesses and insecurities, there ought to be a constant outgrowing of love, joy, means you enjoy life, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, goodness. How fruitful are you today? Or is the only fruit in your life intentional? Intentional fruit tastes like wax fruit. That's good. That ain't in my notes, but it's good. And finally, are you leading a generous, are you living a generous life? I've shared this several times. I shared it Wednesday. I'll share it again because it's part of your pastor's journey in dealing with the horrible flaws of my self-centeredness. Years ago, I felt the Spirit of the Lord ask me a question. He said, John, are you a giver or a taker? And I started to do the dialogue with him. Okay, Lord, what do you mean by stop it? That's what I felt, Mark. Just stop it, stop it, stop it. Just answer the question. And in my heart, by myself with the Lord, I said, I, well, I guess I'm a taker. And very gently, but very clearly, I remember it like yesterday. I felt the Lord say, and you're the, you're the opposite of my son, Jesus. And he gave me the verse, as often as you have opportunity, do good to everybody, especially those in the household of faith. And out loud, I said, as often as you have opportunity, that's like all the time. And the Lord like, you're quick. <laughs> and I started purposing to give. Now, don't think I'm boasting because I'm the guy that has to be corrected with flashcards. Self-centered, selfish taker. And I started every day. Every day before I went to bed, giving away something of value. Whether it was making a trip to help, giving them my time, uh, clothes, uh, gift cards, uh, a deed, cutting their grass. To retrain this self-centered person to be a giver. Humbly. And after 30 years of walking the Lord, we should make a little progress. Today I would answer that I'm a giver. But it never happens automatically. To be generous, you have to be generous. And those of you in this room that are generous, can I go ahead and finish the sentence for you in their hearing? You're going to get taken advantage of like nobody's business. You're going to be lied about by the people you were generous to. Those of y'all that bake cakes for, you know, either dinner on the grounds, they're going to eat your cake and never thank you. They'll eat your chicken. They'll come in with a family of 16 and bring a bag of crystals in. Y'all seen them? You know when everybody brings food enough for your family and they bring in four crystals and put it on the bag and got children lined up around them? They're going to eat all your chicken and they're not going to thank you. Generosity has its own reward. Generosity knows that God is watching. And when you give kindness, 
our compliments, our resources, our time, or our church giving vans, or blessing people. Generous people, I want to say this right. You're very rarely more like God than when you give something with no expectation of getting anything back. And you can't give. John, I don't know if you remember this. Ten years ago, John Beachy told me it was either a vision or a dream about the apples. You remember that? The big, I'll never forget it. Just a, a, what do you call those? Well, barrels of apples. And if I mess it up, I know I remember the gist of it. There were people talking about what to do with the apples. And they were like, uh, well, we've only got so many, and we've got this many people here. And if you panned back in his vision, he was in an apple orchard. And the little house was in the middle. People that aren't generous see the barrel. But when you realize all things are the Lord's, you can just give. And it, it does cost to give, but, and people have used this in the wrong context. You know, they say, well, you can't outgive God, but you can't. How will you be known in heaven? Generous doesn't mean tipping a server 25%. Although you should take care of your servers. It's funny to me how people go, you know, church people on Sundays are the worst here. Tipping, I hate waiting tables. Well, nobody lines up at the bar when their lights are cut off to get help. They come to the church. So generosity is not just leaving gratuity on the table. Generosity is the way you view life that says, with my resources, I will bring God glory. That's what it means. And don't let other people tell you how to be generous or where to be generous out of guilt or manipulation. Or We don't give based on need. We give from our person. And if I give everything to this one, then I have nothing to give to this one. So you don't give out of being manipulated. Are you a generous person? Ben, would you come please this morning? Are you generous with your time? What will that look like? My wife pulls about a 14, 15 hour day every day with the kid. I couldn't do it. She tells me I get to come home and, you know, be super daddy. But she'll been with them 14 hours and I come home after one hour and I go, y'all are driving me crazy. I'll tell them that. But I want whatever time I have to be theirs. When I come home, you know, I want to the best of my ability, whatever time to be theirs. And sometimes I'm physically tired. Other times I'm emotionally tired and I'll go lay down for 15 or 20 minutes so that my time will be good with them. Okay. But I'm trying to give you a picture. So if my wife drives and does something for you, that's way more of a sacrifice than if I did something for you. That's a sacrifice of time that I don't have. Are you generous with your time to people? It's not give it all away. It's that when you have time, and we give it to the Lord. Whether it means coming early on Sunday, leaving late, teaching class. Are you generous with your resources? I remember the first time I gave someone $100. I thought I was going to die. I'm not exaggerating. I was like, ugh. I, it, it just showed how carnal I was. And over the years, I've, I'm, I, I'd like to think I'm growing. I've given away cars, four or five cars. You, you, just get, you just get, now that don't make you a good person. What did I give that wasn't his? It's like if I took, you know, Andy's checkbook and wrote Sandra a check, 
Isn't John nice? No, John took Andy's check. John didn't do anything. And that's why there's no big Christians. Anything I've ever given, God gave me. I'm nothing. We just distribute it on. Generous. Generous with our love. Oh, guys. How self... When you see that person with just money going everywhere and just tight, 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 so tight they squeak when they walk. You know, wouldn't give nobody nothing. And you spot them. You know what's worse than that? All the love you've been given by God and you not love people? Love them. Love them. Do good. Bless your enemies, Jesus said. Speak well to those that despitefully use you. Do good at all times. Do good. Are you generous with grace and mercy? How could you not forgive with all you've been forgiven of? I want, I want to be known. I've set my face to be known as somebody that lives with grace and mercy for other people. And you, you do too. Many of you do. And some of us need to just tr- turn this ship around. We have a wonderful life here, but what's the life to come going to look like? It'll only look like how you lived here. If you live self-centered here, you'll live up there known as self-centered. There's no reward. Are you generous with encouragement and prayers? Sheila Hayslip, where are you? Where's Mama Sheila? Okay. I've, yeah, woohoo. That's right, Terry. Oh, and there's some new people here, and I just want to tell you. In the darkest period of my life, in a period of a year and a half, where I asked the Lord to take my life almost every day, I stand here today because of the prayers of that woman, Kelly and Stacy Jordan. They spent their life praying for me. Now, I'm nothing, but that sacrifice is remembered. So there's a preacher still preaching and teaching and because someone said, I remember one time, and I'm not boasting on her, I'm trying to let you see these weren't mystical. They were things you just willingly did for the Lord. It was up in the grill one morning. I come in 7.30 or 8, and I mean, I'm all, I was just so down, just so beaten down. And I come in, I said, hey, Mama Sheila. She goes, how are you today? And I said, I'm not good. Oh. I said, why? I just, I prayed for you all night and I just wondered. And I said, what do you mean all night? You didn't go to bed? That's generous. It doesn't mean she's perfect. We're not perfect. But those expressions, God didn't make her We're writing our story. We're waiting on God to write it, and we're holding the pen. You want to be good? Be good. You want to be faithful? Be faithful. You want to be generous? Be generous. You want to be a forgiver? Be a forgiver. Write your story. You're not writing it for this life. You're writing it for the one to come. Are you generous without prejudice? And are you generous with no strings attached? All of these types of life are available when we come before the beam of seat of Christ if we live with heaven before us. Galatians 6, be not deceived God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. If you sow to your flesh to your desires you'll reap corruption but if you sow to the spirit you'll reap life everlasting and don't grow weary in well doing but for in due season you'll reap if you faint not as therefore we have opportunity do good to all men especially those in the household of faith.
And finally, 1 Corinthians 3. He that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Every person will receive their own reward according to their labor, not intentions, labor. For we are laborers together with God, you are his husbandry and God's building. For no other foundation can any man lay that's laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if you build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, your work will be made manifest, for the day of the Lord will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if it shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, so as by fire. So picture the individual lives lining up at the beam of seat of Christ. Their life playing like a movie. I don't know if it'll be visible or we'll just know. And God said, let's try it now. And said, you're saved. But there's nothing here. It would be like someone running out of a burning building. They're saved. But do you have any valuables, any possessions? No. And there will be people you never thought... When the Lord tries their works, he said, you gave years. You gave generally, you gave sacrifice. You sent your treasures on. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Great is your reward. I want to jolt you with this last visual. What would it be like if you're standing beside someone that for eternity will be called great in the Lord. And you have nothing. You're saved. This is where the scripture comes in place. Hear me. People said, oh, there's no crying in heaven. Oh, yes, there is. That's where at the end of Revelation, after the judgment seat, he wipes away all the tears from their eyes because if he didn't, they'd be eternally regretful. And they would weep for eternity. He wipes away the tears, but the rewards remain. There's no record of being rewarded in heaven. Only here. Matthew, be great for the Lord. Be great. Great. Take your mind as far as it'll go. Take your spirit as far as it'll go. Be great. Don't judge yourself by those around you. They may not have the investment you have. Be great. I just... I love you enough that some of us, if we shift into high gear, we can make up for lost time. We can do it. I want you to be joyful on that day. Saved by grace. Rewarded according to our works. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, only you know our hearts. And if you're speaking to us by your spirit, it doesn't make us want to run from you. It makes us want to run to you. Teach us how to redeem the time because the days are evil. Teach us to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto you. It's reasonable. It's just reasonable. 
May we say like Elizabeth Elliot, it is no secret or no big thing to give that which we cannot keep to obtain that which we could never have. God, I pray for us that we would set our face to bring glory and honor to you that will make the corrections in our diet spiritually that we need to make, that will make corrections as far as spiritual exercise, that we would swap out our robes for overalls, and that we'd work for the glory of your Son. For the glory of your Son, O oh Lord. By your Spirit, O oh Lord, change us, I pray. Open our eyes, O oh Lord, to see the difference between eternity and this temporal realm. Give us wisdom and courage to cause our lives to count to finish the work you gave us to do. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't know who it's for, and I don't know how many it's for. Even if you don't journal, there'll be people, I know it in my spirit, there'll be people in this room. Even if you don't journal, you've journaled in your heart, this is the day where everything changed. I am going to invest my life instead of spend it. Because the person that does not plan for their future will hate their future in this world and in the one to come. Final thought. The Apostle Paul calling in Timothy and Silas and his friends. He said, my hour is at hand. I'm about to see the Lord. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course I kept the faith no arrogance he said and there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me how can you say that because I've been working for it my whole life and the Lord's going to give me at his appearing but not only me all that love him and he means that works flow from everybody he pulled his pants up covered himself and closed his eyes in this world and opened them in the one to come. He'll be easy to recognize in heaven for the rewards. And some of you will be just like him. May the power of God fill you. May the grace of God motivate you. And may the glory of the Lord be your reward. May you pour your life out freely for the one you call Christ. And may his name be glorified because of your life on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.